Revelation chapter 19. So we are in Revelation chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11 and read through 20 uh, verse 6. Verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses, and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them, had been given the authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been, had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed are Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will will reign with him a thousand years. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful for this opportunity to come and worship you. Lord, to come and learn from your word. Lord, to hear from your voice. Lord, we ask that you would come and be the central figure of the rest of this service and the rest of our worship uh, that we have in this church today. Lord, that you would be with Pastor Doug as he comes and shares with us. Lord, that you would be with each and every one of us sitting in the pews. Lord, that you would be with each and every one of us listening to this in a later day. Lord, that you would guide our hearts and our minds to have the focus that you would have us uh, to have today. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
before we get into this text and the meaning of it as it relates to us as a church, there are two things I must share. First of all, the announcement that my daughter-in-law, Alex, made does not supersede nor does it cancel out the event that we do in December for Christmas gifts for the children, the students at Treverton. That will still be coming as we know that our, our wonderful dear sister, Ms. Reed, she'll be sharing that with us come December or maybe even November. But anyway, that is a future need. What Alex shared this morning is an immediate need. And so that's what we need to address. The second thing is please forgive me at the beginning of the service, not to welcome some very important guests with us. We bring them in from all over the world. And we have our missionaries, the Fertezas are with us, all the way from Argentina, and both Ernesto and Marlene will be sharing during the Sunday school hour, which all of the adult classes and uh, junior high, senior high, and college career will also be here. Uh, to hear their report. Now, for those of you that do not know them, they look nothing like us. <laughs> they come from a different nationality, and yet, but they share the same gospel story of Jesus Christ. Ernesto, I'm going to ask you and Marlene to stand so that we can welcome you properly to Grace Community Church. Let's welcome them this morning. I met Ernesto and Marlene, oh dear Lord, over 20 years ago when we were at North Anvil Bible Church and they came for a missions conference there and then we found ourselves here at Grace Community Church and we have familiar faces of our mission family. So welcome to you, looking so forward to our, our time this morning in you sharing of what the Lord is doing in Argentina and realizing too that we're coming into autumn and in Argentina you're coming into spring. Why would you even think about coming here when it's cooler when you could be down there where it's going to get warmer? Well, we'll find that out when you share with us today. <laughs> Yes, I've, I've seen some of that, my brother, but it is with great pleasure that we have you here this morning. This morning, my intention is to speak to you concerning Christ's millennial reign. And you may, may be wondering why. Why is this particular subject? Well, it's in conjunction with a decision, a proposal that we need to vote on this evening. I'm sure all of you, if, uh, as many of you, if not all of you, have already received a letter in the mail that describes that particular proposal, but yet still, under the guidance, I believe, of the Holy Spirit and even some word of an individual that attends here, that the issue of the millennial reign of Christ may be a little foggy in the pew. 
And so I want to take this time this morning to quickly, though this particular subject could take weeks to study, but I want to quickly give to you at least some ammunition for tonight's vote. In the previous doctrinal statement of the Evangelical Free Church, they stated it this way. We believe in the personal, bodily, and premillennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy, and as our blessed hope motivates the believers to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. In 2019, that particular statement was changed to include, if you will, we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. From an old man position, which I hold, I feel the exclusion of the term premillennial has hurt that particular statement. And so this morning, I wish to share with you from a very biblical necessity for clarity and accuracy, if you will, concerning the millennial reign of Jesus Christ that was read for us by Pastor Steve, highlighted in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. But before we begin, I want to share with you the golden rule of interpretation. Whenever you read the Word of God, whenever you convict yourself or appoint yourself to study the Word of God, this is the golden rule that you need to hold to. And it goes something like this. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. Axiomatic means, if you will, self-evident or unquestionable. And so when it comes to this theological position, this doctrinal statement concerning the millennium and when and where and how and all of that that happens in it, we need to go to the scriptures, which gives us, or at least leads us to this, not only the golden rule, but there are important issues that are at hand the first one is this, if I may give to you a statement that I feel comfortable in proclaiming, and I trust you would understand what it says, we believe in that blessed hope, the personal, imminent, pre-tribulation and premillennial coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his redeemed ones, and in his subsequent return to earth with his saints to establish his millennial kingdom. This is a statement that I feel, at least in my theological study, that highlights some very important issues that we will discuss later on as time allows us to. The second issue is this. 
we believe in a biblical and literal millennial reign of Jesus Christ as set forth in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. There is now an uprising, if you will, of theological issues that, number one, they say there is no such thing as a millennial reign of Christ. They're called amillennials, no millennial. And then there's a group that is establishing themselves as an authority that even begin to say that we are in the millennial kingdom now, right now. And so we need to deal with that. But thirdly, we ask ourselves the question, why? What's the big hubbub, Pastor Doug? Why? Why get all flustered? Why get all heavy-hearted? Why get all, if you will, upset as to what's the big deal concerning the millennium reign, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? Hopefully, we will address these three as we go on. The first thing we need to deal with is the importance of the return of Jesus Christ. Now, in Scripture, there is clarity of thought and presentation that there are two returns of Jesus Christ. One is described that as he comes in the clouds, we'll look at that shortly, to call out his redeemed ones. The dead in Christ will rise first and we will gather them to be with the Lord in the air. Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. We call that rapture. We call that calling out. And if you want the Greek word, it's parousia for those of you that like a little bit more knowledge. The other one is when Jesus Christ literally returns to this earth and establishes his kingdom. Now we can even go further and say literally there were three comings of Jesus Christ. The first one was his birth upon this earth. He was here. As you know, after 33 years of ministry, 33 and a third year, something in that realm, he died upon the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. You can include that also, but what we're focusing in this morning is the latter two. In fact, the first, if you will, of the two returns of Jesus Christ is referred to as the term rapture. Now realize the term rapture in and of itself does not appear in the scriptures. That word rapture was garnered, if you will, from an interpretation or an identification into the Latin meaning, if you will, calling out or taking away. The two classical passages in the scripture that speak to this is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 58, and 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. I would like to take the time, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in verses 13 to verse 18. 
The Apostle Paul addressed this issue in the church of Thessalonica because of a concern that they were having. They were wondering about those who had died, if, uh, what happens to them. Or is there no hope for them, those who have trusted Christ? And so the Apostle Paul writes to them when he says, But we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, or uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may, that you may not grieve as others who do not have any hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words." That describes for us what is known as the rapture. Now, in the biblical context, we understand that this particular situation, the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing his saints to glory, is, takes place at any moment. It is imminent. I find it even exciting that it can happen even before I make the next click on this particular clicker. It's imminent. It can happen at any moment. And it also, at least in my understanding of Scripture, takes place prior to the tribulation period of time. Thus, if you remember our, our previous statement concerning this particular thing, uh, a doctrinal statement that we have, that we believe that the personal return of Jesus Christ, bodily return, will be imminent and pre-tribulational. That is speaking of the rapture time. Now, the rapture, after the rapture, the events of tribulation described in Revelation chapters 6 through 19 will take place. Now, I want to be careful to be clear on this particular statement. There are some that believe, and, and I do too, that the tribulation period of time is not going to begin until after the rapture, the calling out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. But in reality, when you go to the book of the Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation period of time does not begin until Jesus breaks the first seal. That is really when the beginning is going to happen. That's when all things, if you will, are going to take place from Revelation 6 through 19, the beginning verses of 19. But the breaking of the seal will not take place until the saints are gathered home. That is the promise of Scripture. And there we will be, Revelation chapter 5, we will join in the great choir that sings, Holy and blessed is the Lord God Almighty, 
praise to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. We will join in that great choir of voices. So when we talk about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first one we recognize to be known as the rapture. The difference is, is the second return of Jesus Christ is to the earth, where he physically establishes his reign and his rule on this earth, described for us in Revelation 19, verses 11, through Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. That is a continual event. I know it's separated by chapters and such as that, but that whole passage is a continuation thought of both the return of Jesus, the battle that will take place at that time, where he then, the, the uh, false prophet and, 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 and the other individual are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years, thrown into the bottomless pit, and Jesus will reign from David's throne in Jerusalem. And someone ought to say amen. Oh, my word, Lord, have mercy. Even, co, even so come, Lord Jesus. This event is described in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 21, as Jesus Christ the King returns to earth to establish his kingdom. The grandness of that is going to be earth-shattering because as it declares for us, when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he is going to set foot on the Mount of Olives and it is going to split in two. Part going south, part going north. In other words, there's going to be big change on this earth. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. There's not going to be any dumbness in this world. He will rule. He will be worshipped. He will set on the throne of David and rule for a period of time established as 1,000 years. Now with that though, it is at this return that Jesus, do I have that letter C? Oh, there we are, I'm sorry. It is at this return that Jesus Christ returns to the earth with his saints from heaven and establishes millennial rule on earth for a thousand years as highlighted in Revelation 20 and 21, or 20 verses 1 to 6. Verses that describe this period of time are listed here for you. I want to draw your attention to a couple of them, if I may. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah Chapter 11. And you will notice in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear 
shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and a weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in any in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Notice verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who is, by the way, Jesus Christ, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos, from Cush, from Elam, from Sashinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. That is a descriptiveness of the millennium kingdom that Jesus Christ will rule over. It's nothing like it is today. In fact, when I read those verses, specifically in chapter 6 to chapter 9, there's got to be a huge change in me to want to even play with a snake. I have no desire whatsoever to go anywhere near a snake. Some of you proclaim that you have black snakes around your house or maybe in your house. If a snake wants my house, I don't need to be there. But here, things are going to change. That is part of the dynamic of the return of Jesus Christ to establish his millennium kingdom. The other verse, too, I draw your attention, not that we need to turn to it, but you might remember in our communion service, we were at Luke chapter 22, where Jesus mentioned to his disciples that he is going to establish them on thrones to rule over the nation of Israel. And as Pastor Steve read that passage in Revelation chapter 20, you might remember from your memory here that the voice of my son when he said that they will establish rules, thrones that will rule the world at that time. So... Why is this issue important? Why, Pastor Doug, are you making this to be that important? Well, I can give you the first answer and we'll go through the rest. It's in the Word of God, so it's important. You cannot get away from it. You cannot... Covered over. You can't put icing on it and make it taste better. Which, by the way, it doesn't need anything to taste better. I think that's pretty great. It is in the word of God. That makes it important. But the millennium, the premillennial return of Jesus Christ is stated in scripture as a truth. So my question is, why then would we not believe it to be true? Why do we need to replace the terminology of premillennialism with the word glorious? I understand that the return of Jesus Christ is going to be glorious. Amen, dear people? It is going to be glorious. 
But what is the need of replacing what the scripture clearly says? Why remove that? What is the purpose behind that? That I do not have a full answer for. But I do know this. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ is stated clearly as being a time of rule on this earth that covers 1,000 years. I hope that at least when you were hearing or listening to Pastor Steve read Revelation 21 to 6, that you took notice that term thousand years was repeated six times. Six times. Which means that might be a very important term to pay attention to. You can't soft soap it. You can't wipe it away. Because John said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's going to be a reign of one thousand years a time of 1000 years yes even though the return of Christ to the earth will be glorious yet the scriptures are clear of when and what will happen during this time should we be hesitant in declaring the truth no we have no reason to back away from that There is no, if you will, better terminology or replacement of terminology, in my opinion, as to what clearly states in the scriptures. Why would we back away from that? That I do not know the answer to, but this I do know. Lastly, yet not exclusively, the rule of Christ on the earth is in fulfillment of God's promises to Israel in the Old Testament. Let me give you, if I may, let me give to you the fulfilled promises to Israel. The first one is this. It is a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. As God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, one of the provisions of that covenant is the promise of land that is going to belong to the nation of Israel. The land has been promised by God to them, and if you will notice in the millennium kingdom, Israel will be in possession of all the land that God determined to give to them. Without the millennium kingdom, there is no fulfilled promise of the Abrahamic covenant. And in reality, you could even then say that God is a liar. And we all know from the study in the book of Hebrews, at least, we should remember that the writer of Hebrews says there's two things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. And he cannot break his promises. And if the fulfillment of the millennium kingdom does not happen. You can't wipe it away. If it does not happen, then God is a liar, and all of us, as Paul says, are men most miserable. The second fulfillment to the nation of Israel is part of the Davidic covenant, the covenant of David, established in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Verses 1 to 7, when David is finally crowned as king, 
God then provide the provision of the Davidic covenant is the promise of God to have a king from the offspring of David to be seated on the throne ruling the kingdom. That we know Jesus is from the kingly lineage of David that is described for us in Matthew chapter 1. He is the coming king. And I trust, as Pastor Steve read, that you understood that there was a name that was given to Jesus. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. So the importance of highlighting the millennial kingdom, the Christ millennial reign, is to be, if you will, encompassing or including the promises of God from the Old Testament. And quite frankly, I don't care how many degrees you have after your name. Those who say there is no millennium, in my opinion, cannot declare that the word of God is fully the word of God. Because they've wiped out the promises to the nation of Israel. And they have downgraded the character of God. And so there are two conflicting theories on the millennium. The first one is known as these are those who believe there is not a literal millennial rule of Jesus Christ. They are referred to as being amillennialists. Now, those who are in that camp, theologians, if you will, present a very great argument as to why they don't believe. There is such a thing as a millennial kingdom of Christ. It's because they say that the whole book of Revelation is nothing more than allegorical. Which means it's not all true. There are sections of it that they would hold to be an allusion to something else. But when the... Word of God says a thousand year reign. You cannot interpret that in any other way than to mean a literal 1,365, 24 hour, seven day week years. If they want to discard that, then let me ask you, how many days would they discard that God created heaven and earth? Time that is specified and held up in other areas of scripture as, if you will, the golden rule of interpretation, you will never find any allegorical meaning of when it says David lived in Jerusalem this many years. It is the same. A thousand years is a thousand years. Period. Then there are those that believe the millennial kingdom is happening right now with Jesus Christ ruling from heaven. That sounds pretty good. 
but in relation to the promises of, if you will, God and the Davidic kingdom, an heir from the David's line is to rule from Jerusalem. So someone tell me, when those of you that went to uh, uh, Israel this past, did you see Jesus reigning, sitting on the throne? No, I didn't think so. If we're living in the millennium right now, then someone please help me. How has Satan been bound and thrown into the bottomless pit? Because when he's out of the way, things are going to be pretty good. And I've been reading papers later, and it ain't getting any better. It isn't getting any better. And so we have problems of interpretation. And my closing remark is this, tying this all together, is this. If you are silent about your beliefs because you are worried someone will be offended then your beliefs are not that important to you, but rather what people think about you is. And when you stand up for what is right and true, you will receive both hate and love, but everyone will know what you're fighting for. The purpose of the vote this evening, dear people, is not in any way determined to slight the Evangelical Free Church Association. But what it is, is to be a determinate factor of describing who we are. I have no problem in stating the fact that I believe Jesus' return in the clouds can happen at any time. It's going to be before the tribulation period. And then when he returns to this earth, I have no problem in stating it's going to be before millennium and he's going to rule. What is so wrong about that? That we can't say that. And with confidence from the scriptures. It's right here. Where else do we need to go? The vote will take place this evening as to whether we do or whether we don't cut ties with the Evangelical Free Church Association. And then we will begin an investigation into joining another group that expresses the exact same things that we hold true from the scriptures. And dear people, we don't have to make an excuse for it. It's in the word. May we pray. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what you taught your disciples to pray. And that's what we want. For your will would be done. I trust that the teaching. This information. And that's all it is. It's information. But yet I see it. 
as valuable information that comes from the pages of Scripture that have been kept for us by the wonder-working power of God's grace and the Holy Spirit interceding. And there is a purpose in it. The return of Jesus Christ is very important. It is not a minor issue. It is very major. Because as the Apostle Paul wrote to Thessalonica and Corinth, it is a reminder of hope. And as the words penned in the book of the Revelation by John, they are words of declaration of victory. May we never cower from them. And may we never make excuse for them. For they've been directed by your spirit to the hearts and minds of men as they pen the words. And they are as true today as when the first blot of ink reached the page of transmission. To you we glorify, to you we praise and honor. For it is the name of Christ our Savior we thank you. Amen.